In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no other parable that Jesus tells that represents so starkly the difference between how man thinks versus how God thinks than the parable that we just heard and now consider this morning. Jesus knows what we think what we think is fair. Workers who work 12 long hours bearing the burden and the heat of the day and the scorching sun deserve more than workers who work only one hour at the very end of the day after the work is already done. And who can argue with this? Even the Bible says so. As St. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So it stands to reason that he who works more should get more. It's wrong to expect what you did not work for when you're perfectly able to do your fair share, to take advantage of other people's hard work and to expect the same payment as those who work hard for what they have is to steal from them. The seventh commandment forbids stealing. And this raises an important point. When we appeal to our rights, we're always appealing to God's commandments. The basis for our right to property and our right to be paid for work that we render is the seventh commandment that forbids stealing and requires that we pay. Similarly, the basis for our right to life is the fifth commandment, which forbids anyone from killing us. It is not we who deserve to live, it is God who prevents anyone from murdering us. The right to liberty takes a little bit more explanation. We have the right to liberty because God commands us to obey our parents and others who have legitimate authority over us. He commands this in the fourth commandment. This means we are free or at liberty to ignore bossy people who don't have authority to tell us what to do. So you see how the fourth commandment protects your freedom. But it also means that we learn how to live free lives, not by doing whatever we want to do, but by obeying those who do have authority to tell us what to do. The Nazis famously placed a sign on the gates of Auschwitz that said, Arbeit macht frei. Work makes you free. As is often the case, the devil lies by twisting what is perfectly true in its proper context, but deadly false in the wrong context. Under rightful authority, your labor in obedience and honoring of those whom God has placed over you does indeed teach you everything you need to know about true earthly freedom and civic liberty. People who obey father and mother not only live long lives, but they're, they're better people. They're the kind of people we hire and want to work with. Now, there's certainly no freedom in disobeying God and refusing to work the work he gives you to do. But working for tyrants who have no right to command you and imprison you, well, their work didn't set anyone free, did it? In the home, Arbeit macht frei. But not in a concentration camp. 
For earthly living, your work may well set you free, but not for eternal life. Hence the purpose of the parable that our Lord Jesus tells us today. He teaches us to think like he does about the value of work and the value of grace in order that we might not fall under the commands and tyranny of a tyrant. When we appeal to our God-given rights, we're appealing to the God-given law written on a human hearts and made plain to us in the Ten Commandments. It is wrong to lay claim to other people's possessions in the name of civil rights and in the name of the illusory dream of equality. People say they want equality, but this parable proves they don't. They want their work to be rewarded. It is wrong to treat other people's life as less valuable than your own. It is wrong to seek freedom by becoming a slave to your own desires rather than by doing what God tells you. We derive our rights from the law, and we have a pretty good sense of it. That is why it strikes us as so unfair that those who worked only one hour should get equal payment as those who worked the whole day long. But what excuse does the landowner give? How does he explain himself to those who complain? He says, is it not lawful for me? And the word there is, he says, do I not have the right to do what I wish with my own things? The landowner appeals to his own rights. It is perfectly true that he cannot be rightly forced to pay more to those who do not do the work, but he can. But can he be forced to pay less? Can he be told that he may not be generous with his own things? Does he do anyone any wrong when he is kind to some? He paid those who worked all day exactly what they agreed to. He kept his end of the bargain. A denarius was a standard payment for a day of manual labor. We hear one coin and perhaps we think that this landowner is some sort of Scrooge or Carnegie, but he wasn't. He was perfectly honorable. They had every reason to rejoice at their pay. What made them feel ripped off wasn't that they had been treating, treated unfairly. It is because the landowner treated the others very generously. The landowner owner identified the issue quite squarely when he asked, Is your eye evil because I am good? And their eye was evil. Their eye was evil because they begrudged his grace. They hated his grace because they did not think they needed his grace. They thought their work was worth more than it was. Now, we may well earn from each other. We may well work very hard and put others into our debt. But we do not work to put God in our debt. We do not appeal to our rights with God. An appeal to our rights is an appeal to the law that condemns us because we have broken it. Jesus teaches us not to appeal to our rights, but to his grace. In order to be gracious to us, God exercises his own right to do what he wants with what belongs to him and see what he does with what is his. See the basis for all God's generosity, both towards those who work and towards those who do not. For both earthly and temporal, as well as spiritual and eternal blessings. He gives his own son. 
and he has the right to give him. The father has a right to command his son, and his son in perfect freedom, who did not consider robbery to be equal with the father, nonetheless chose not to make his boast in his divinity, but to take the form of a servant. As an obedient son, he did this in freedom. As a servant, he bore the burden of every commandment perfectly. As a servant, he bore the heat of the day, the persecution, the sneering, the abuse, the ingratitude. And when he was praised, he gave all glory to God. As a servant, he put himself under the law to redeem those who were under the law. He suffered and died to bear in himself all God's disapproval, all God's punishment. The law protects all our rights, yes, but the Son of God exercised his right to obey all God's commandments fully in order to give all he earned and all he deserved to those who could not earn a thing by laying down his own life to redeem us. He gives his righteousness to all who deserved poverty, slavery, and eternal death. God exercised his perfect freedom in giving his son to redeem all sinners in order that, as St. Paul says, he may also with him freely give us all things. And he gives generously. He gives not to those who earn, but freely to those who have not. This is not how it works between men on earth. This is not how it really can work, can it? This is not how the market functions. Those who depend on how the market functions, though, and therefore suppose that God should deal with us by the same standards, they judge God unfairly. They judge him as unfair, but he is not unfair. Is it unjust for a master to be so generous? Well, it may well be so foolish. A man who pays those who do not work more than the last hour of the day just as much as those who work for 12 hours will soon run out of money and won't be able to sign anyone's paychecks. And he'll have no way to convince his workers to get the work done because their checks won't even, won't even be able to be cashed. And he doesn't require work. That might be foolish, but is he wrong? Does he do evil? I think the case can be made that an employer who sinks his business by profligate generosity and so puts his industrious workers out of a job can, I suppose, be accused of doing wrong by his foolish generosity. But the foolishness of God works differently. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and his poverty is richer than all human works can earn In his poverty, he earns salvation for all, so that where sin abounds, his grace abounds much more. The more generous he is, the more he has to give. He cannot sink his business by being too generous. No, he establishes his kingdom by such grace. The world works by rewarding merit. I have often heard that a just society is a meritocracy, where merit rules. That may well be what we need in order for our rights to be protected. It is right to appeal to our rights to life, liberty, and property. It is right to appeal to the law that defends us. But we do not appeal to the law when addressing God against whom we have sinned and upon whose mercy we depend. And we certainly 
do not appeal to the law in order to tell God what right he has. For we have broken the law and have forfeited all we have and even our very lives. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have no rights before God, but he has rights. Our arbites will not make us fry to play with the false promise on the gates to Auschwitz. And it is the same false promise of all human pride. Work will make you free, but it won't. It is the work of God alone that makes you free. It is the work of Christ alone that pays for our sins and covers us with righteousness. It is the work of the Holy Spirit alone that we embrace this truth by faith. He works it in us. As St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And we are his workmanship, the apostle continues. God has prepared works for us to do. He honors us with works to do. Now our works don't earn from God. They glorify God, who gives us all things freely. How else will we serve him if he doesn't give us something with which to serve him? Even the things we work hard to obtain on earth we receive by pure grace. Because he has so ordered things that those who work will eat. We do what God commands and requires not to get God to give, but to serve our neighbor. We work not to become free, but because we are free. We know how he manages his household, never mind how the world manages its. And so it is by God's great kindness that we ourselves become the means by which God gives generously to those who have not earned what they get. When we show mercy and kindness to one another, we live by grace alone. And so, and so we show grace to others. That which does not run out within our Father's bosom, but becomes an eternal stream of mercy and grace and kindness. And the more he shows, the more abundantly he has. So it is for us into whose hearts mercy has been poured. When we lay down our rights as Jesus exercised his, well then we never lose. We live by grace alone. We show grace especially toward brothers and sisters in the household of faith because we are free. We do good towards others freely. We give to the gospel to support its preaching freely in gratitude for what is freely given to us. When you work for it, it's labor. It's hard. It's grueling. And your body or your mind, whatever is most exhausted, expects some sort of reward. You bear the burden and the heat of the day. When you don't work for it, it's easy. It's light. It's all the same work. But it is as Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And for what purpose does he yoke himself to us? That we might bear the burden with him. See the honor he gives to us by seeing the honor he gave to those who were called at the eleventh hour. He calls us to work, not to become free, not to earn, but because we are free for the sake of him who has earned our salvation for us. Now some will argue that this teaching of salvation by pure grace alone will encourage Christians not to care about doing good works. But you who know Christ and his mercy, you prove them wrong. Not by boasting in what you do, but by quietly doing what God has given you to do. This is the argument made by those who resented those who worked only for an hour. And yet they were not told to go home and keep their reward. They were invited to keep working in that vineyard until the work was done. And so are we. Only when God rescues us from our sin by his grace alone and grants us forgiveness for all our sins for Jesus' sake because of his sacrificial life and death for us and not because of anything good that we can do, only then are we able to do good works and only then do they become a pure joy. They become easy because he who gives us the work to do is yoked to us, always teaching us how to be free under his grace, always teaching us what good works he has done to redeem us, and always rewarding the works that we do through faith in him. The first will be last, and the last will be first. And so in repentance, we count ourselves last. And we look to the firstborn of all eternity, the firstborn from the dead. We look to him who died and rose for us. We see his labor. And we are satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.